Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Here to give us the update from Cincinnati is uh, James Bean from SportsIllustrated.com. James, Jordy Mack here. Thanks for hopping on board. How fun was that game yesterday? Wow, yeah, it was a, it was a lot of fun. I'm just glad I wasn't the one getting hit, right? Yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah it was uh, it, it was fun. It was uh, a crazy environment. I mean, extremely, extremely loud, and uh, exactly what uh, you'd expect a, a playoff environment to be like. And uh, I am excited. I must admit that uh, I'll be covering another game next week, no doubt. The legend of Joe Burrow started in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and was pretty damn big down there. But it has gotten even bigger here in his second season in the National Football League, and especially these last two weeks. Uh, uh, above and beyond the moxie that he shows and the swag that he's got, which I like uh, a lot on both fronts, the only thing I like about him more is his just ability to throw the football. He has been stone-cold dynamite, including that huge play to uh, Jamar Chase out of bounds, stopped the clock, got them in position to kick the game-winning field goal. After the game, Burrow's call from the sideline, side adjustment by Chase. That was a great pass and a great catch, but better than that, I just thought it was an ingenious call and play. Who gets credit for it? Oh, man, yeah, who gets credit? It's it's a handful of guys, right? You, you would start, I think, with Burrow. Uh, Jamar Chase mentioned, yeah, that they, they made a change there, and I, he thought it was based on the safeties. But the fact that Burrow is so good pre-snap, and there were times, you know, as bad as the pressure was, there were times yesterday where I think the Titans were able to confuse him, and it's hard to do. But, uh, you know, game on the line, you've been hit 13 times, according to the stats. You've been sacked nine times and you suddenly have this change and, and you have the focus to deliver and make that pass and make it right on the money where Chase can get out of bounds and he's not falling in bounds and, you know, everything that, that happened can happen. It's uh, much, much easier said than done to stay composed. And you mentioned Moxie and, you know, people say it factor and all of those things, swag. He's tough. I mean, Joe mm-hmm. Burrow isn't one of these big quarterbacks, right? You mentioned, the, you know, the other side of this AFC bracket. Josh Allen is huge. Joe Burrow's a, you know, a good size dude, but he's not like that. And the fact that he took all of those hits and uh, was still able to, to stay in there, wasn't seeing ghosts or anything like that, and was trying to keep his eyes downfield, read the defense, and then ultimately made that huge play. Uh, not many quarterbacks do that, and certainly second-year quarterbacks. Uh, he might be the only one that makes that play after what happened on the field uh, during the first three and a half, four quarters. I had Mike Tannenbaum on one of the shows that I do uh, leading up to the season back in August and during mm-hmm. the preseason time. And we were doing a review of all the teams around the league, and I asked him about Burrow, and he said he still has all the talent that he ever had. But do me a favor, Jody. 
keep an eye on him this year because when you suffer as severe an injury as he did, mm-hmm. in his experience, he said, usually takes a year. Guys come back from it. It's not like I'm telling you his career is over because of the injury, but they don't usually come back the same player that first year. It takes an entire year of working mm-hmm. through it to be able to get back to the level they were at previously. And he said Burrow's young enough that I believe that's going to be the case. But he said keep an eye on him early on because that's a really tough injury to come back from. Yeah, right. And then he has the season that he had. <laughs> when, when did you know, if you thought along those lines at all, yeah, this injury is completely in the rearview mirror now? You know, he had shown signs of it, you know, early on. Uh, he played really well uh, week one, considering that, you know, it was his first game back. Um, but, but there were still some pocket things, some, some feel, uh, you know, where you're not seeing him go off script like we've seen so much this year and evade defenders. And, and obviously he was under pressure then, just not as much as, as he was yesterday. Uh, I know week four, it was a Thursday night game against Jacksonville. They were down by two scores. And uh, he rallied them, and they didn't punt in the second half, and he really played at a high level. Uh, but there were just flashes of it. And I would say probably about six, seven weeks ago, suddenly he looked like LSU Joe Burrow, where he saw the game and saw defenses the same way he did in college when he led the Tigers to that national championship. At the same time, his athleticism was back to pre-injury, and he was moving comp- confidently in the pocket and evading uh, potential sacks and, and getting outside the pocket and pushing the ball down the field. And, uh, you know, it just it does take time, and it did take him time. This wasn't, uh, you know, just a, you know, a flawless season for him. But I would say that the past six to seven weeks, he's played at such a high level that, uh, you know, it, it was his first interception in, in I think, six games uh, yesterday. And it was, wasn't even his fault, right? It bounces off the running back's hand, Samaj P. Yep. Ryan, and it was a heck of a play. But he's just been lights out. So that's when I would say, oh, man, that's, that's the athlete that we saw at LSU combined it with the, the ability to recognize and see defenses the way a second year versus a rookie quarterback would. And he looks like the guy that we saw win a national title a few years ago, but only in the NFL. Let me take you back to a key moment of this year for the Bengals, and that would be the weekend of the NFL draft. I would say nine out of every ten mock drafts I saw had Panay Sewell, uh, a left tackle to protect that bad leg Joe Burrow's got on his backside, uh, mocked to the Bengals. And instead, they said, let's reunite the duo from LSU, and they drafted Jamar Chase. I know some people questioned it. Some people mocked it. Pardon the pun. Um, I didn't have a problem with it because my favorite uh, draft analyst, Rick Saratel from NFL uh, Draft Bible, uh, told me that the he had talked to all the D-backs in the SEC over the course of two years at the Combine and asked them who the toughest guy to cover was. And you've got um, the eventual Heisman Trophy winner, Mr. Smith from Philadelphia, um, his Alabama teammates, um, Jefferson, who sets the rookie record for most yards ever in the NFL. He said every single one of them said Jamar Chase. Not four out of five or five out of six. Six for six said, yeah, oh, no, Jamar Chase is the toughest guy to cover. And I said, all right, well, and I believe this kid's going to be a superstar. And he surely was year one. What was the in Cincinnati feel when the Burrows, uh, the pick for Burrow was a wide receiver rather than a left tackle? It was the biggest, most highly debated, hotly contested 
back and forth between Team Chase and Team Soul among Bengals fans. I mean, it was <laughs> uh, it, it, it was a, a really big draft debate, and it lasted for months. And you obviously had Burrow going through rehab and the injury and everything like that that played into it. And you know, uh, they obviously got it right and, and knocked it out of the park. And th- that's the thing; it would have been really easy to say, okay, Jamar Chase is higher on our board if you're the Bengals, but we have to protect Burrow and we have to go get Penny Sewell or, or one of the, you know, Rashawn Slate, whoever it would be. And they said, no, the top prospect that we have is Jamar Chase. And the one thing that Burrow struggled with as a rookie was the deep ball. And that was as much about personnel as anything. And, and they realized that. So if they hadn't picked Jamar Chase, I don't think they'd be playing next week. Uh, he's had such a, an impact on the way defenses play the Bengals. And, yeah, I get it. The offensive line still needs work. There's no denying that. But Jamar Chase, they don't grow on trees. And so when you, you have a chance to get a guy like that, you take him. And uh, he's a, a big, big reason why they're uh, in this position. And, um yeah, credit to, to Duke Tobin and the Bengals organization because there was a lot of pressure, you know, to take Penny Sewell and go that route. And they, they stuck to their board. They stuck to their guns. And it uh, it certainly was the right decision. Another thing during the offseason, and I will get to the actual two playoff games that they won now, something they hadn't done in 30 years in a second. But, again, a turning point for me was – they kind of moved on this offseason, and A.J. Green was supposed to buy Boyd for it. Still yep. could play at the top of his game. Nobody was saying he's lost it or he's done or anything like that, but they said, no, we're turning a page, and they did draft Jamar Chase, and they decided we need to let some of the guys who have been good players, not good enough to get us a playoff win, but good players and long careers here in Cincinnati go during this offseason. How was that received and do you believe that it, it, it was something that was necessary for this team to formulate the way that it has this year? Absolutely, 100%. And it, it, it was weird during Zach Taylor's first couple of years because you had, like, the old guard and then you had this, this young group and you had these, uh, you know, almost hi- hybrid guys that had been here for the old guard a bit, but they were still young enough to potentially contribute and, and might be reaching their prime, you know, the Joe Mixons, the Tyler Boyds. And uh, obviously guys like Joe Burrow that were, you know, really, really young. And they they looked at it, and I think they realized, you know, the Carlos Dunlaps, the A.J. Greens, guys like that, they needed to find pieces that fit what they do. And this really applies to defense because they've spent a lot of money on veterans and adding veterans and free agency over the past two off seasons. And D.J. Reader. For those that don't know him, probably know him now. Number 98 was a, a big reason why they bottled up Derrick Henry last night, the interior defensive lineman. Um, he was uh, he was huge for them, but they've added Von Bell. They went out and got Chidobe Awuzie. They've, they've added all of these players in free agency that have really made a huge difference. Trey Hendrickson had 14 sacks this season. And, and so I think they needed that. They needed to get rid of some of that old guard bring in these guys, and it seem, they seemingly have got it right with all of them, gotten it right with all of them, and they're all contributing, they're all playing their role, and they're all bought in. And I think that's really hard to do and, and get a, an entire locker room going in one direction, but they have been, and not just during the good times, because it's easy to be bought in when you're about to play for an AFC title. When they lost a couple of games, you know, they started 5-2, and two, then they lost back-to-back games. It's 5-4. and four. Everybody's questioning them, including me. 
and then they get to seven and four, and then they drop two in a row, and it's like, are they going to choke here with the chance to go to the playoffs? No, they uh, they stuck with it. It seemed like they were, you know, stayed confident, and now their quarterback is playing as well uh, as he's played as a, an NFL player. So they feel like they have a shot to uh, uh, to continue this run, and we'll see if they can. James Rapine from SI.com, talking Bengals here with us on CBS Sports Radio. You mentioned one of those key guys in the trenches, Reader, with a big game, uh, yeah. a couple of big games since the playoffs started. I-, I would say that's a strong suit of the defense overall. I know Hendrickson gets all the coverage and all the pub because he's the sack guy, and he's been damn good at it, and that was a phenomenal addition this year. But the other two guys inside with uh, Reader on the defensive line, Hill and Ogunjabi, uh, uh, I think have also done a, job, a great job this year. I think the Bengals' defensive line is one of the more underrated ones in the NFL. No denying it, especially the interior, because, you know, they, they've been deep there all. and It, it was good cause for them because they were really weak there last year. And they went out and they traded for B.J. Hill. They already had Reader, but he was coming off of an injury. They go get Larry Ogunjobi, uh, who suffered an injury and is out for the year, didn't play yesterday. But, to your point, had seven sacks, 49 tackles, was a big part of their defensive line rotation. And yep. the depth of that room uh, was significantly better this season. And it is a big reason why this defense as a, a unit exceeded my expectations. And I think is the, the biggest surprise of the year when it comes to the Bengals. It isn't that Joe Burrow could be a top-five quarterback. I think people were bullish on him. It's not that Jamar Chase is really good at catching footballs and breaking tackles and, and getting open deep downfield. It's that this defense – can go on the road and win games for you. And I, that was not expected after what we saw from the, you know, this defense the first couple of years. And, yeah, there were new faces, but how are they going to fit? And they, they fit perfectly, and it does start with that defensive line because they have plenty of uh, depth there, specifically on the interior. And that really showed up against Derrick Henry and the Tennessee Titans because that's what they want to do, to do is run the ball, and the Bengals were able to bottle it up for the most part. All right, we painted a pretty rosy picture here, and well, we should because the Bengals won two straight playoff games after a 30-year absence. <laughs> they did get Joe Burrow hit, you mentioned, uh, 13 times. Two of those yep. hits slash sacks were wiped out because of penalty. So in actuality, he got hit 15 times yesterday, which is a lot. I saw his quotes and his uh, interview stuff after the game. He looked okay. He didn't look hurt or anything, but he's got to be at least a little bit sore. Um yeah, I give credit to the Tennessee defense. They got great players and they had good schemes. But anytime you get your quarterback sacked 19, uh, nine times, the offensive line's got some splaining to do. What was, the, I'm sure it was not an emphasis since the Bengals won the game, but were there any, uh, um, let's at least say, questions about the offensive line's performance yesterday? No doubt. No doubt, because if, if the Bengals lose, that's probably going to be what costs them. Right, depending on it doesn't really matter who they play, right? If it's Buffalo or Kansas City, if they protect Joe Burrow, you look at it, Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Mixon, Tyler Boyd, that they should be able to keep up with those offenses. But not if this offensive line can't hold up in big moments, in crucial times, or on just the normal down, second and ten, right? And and that's the part of it where uh, you know, Jeffrey Simmons and, and Jericho Autry, you know, all, all these guys got after him, uh, Harold Landry. That, that was the worst I've seen it all season. I mean, it mm-hmm. was bad. And, and, it, and it looked, I think it even looked worse than it was, but it was obviously really bad. And, and so 
Two things. One, yeah, the offensive line has to play better. They can't have the communication issues. They have clear communication issues early in the game because of the crowd. None of those can happen. And because it's not like they can go out and sign new linemen, right? They they have who they have. So that's the first thing that needs to change and is realistic uh, to change ahead of next week's game. And then the second one, you hope that, that Burrow doesn't get confused with with the defense that he's looking at. Because there were times where he was holding on to the ball longer than normal. And I think it was because the defense looked and gave him one look and then switched it, changed it. He was confused and had to hold on to the ball longer than he wanted because he didn't want to make a mistake in that type of game. And uh, and so that led to uh, more sacks, more hits, et cetera. So it's it's twofold. And, uh, yeah, the Bengals, they're going to have to address the offensive line this offseason. They're going to have $50 million in cap space. They're going to have plenty of draft picks. And who knows, maybe they trade for veteran or something like that because they have the room and the assets to do so. But in the meantime, no communication errors. They have to fix that. And they have to uh, find a way to, to make sure that, Burrow's seeing the defense the way he can. Because if he does that, and he's already seen the Chiefs, so that would bode well if they do play the Chiefs, then uh, then he'll be able to distribute the ball and push the ball downfield and do all of the things that uh, they're going to need him to do if they're going to advance past the AFC title game. All right, last two questions. Both of them on the same topic, but directed two different ways. Motivation. I was a little surprised. Uh, you can tell I'm a Burrow fan, and I do like his attitude and his swag. But yesterday seemed pretty put off that people were talking about the Bengals as an underdog. Well, they were an underdog, and they won. And chances are they're going to be an underdog going into Buffalo or Kansas City again. I yep. think you can use that for motivation. I would wear my underdog label proudly. It seemed to tick off Joe. Do I have the right read on this? Is he handling it? I know he's handling it the way he wants, but is he handling it correctly? Well, two things. One, you're right. They're going to be an underdog regardless of who they play in, in the next two games, most likely, um, depending, you know, if they advance. Uh, but a lot of those guys in the locker room are underdogs and have embraced that from DJ Reader to Jesse Bates that, you know, the list goes on and on of guys that view themselves that way. Heck, T. Higgins, right, probably does since he wasn't a first-round pick. You know, there's plenty of motivation in that. But, yeah, Burrow, I think what his goal is is instead of thinking, and C.J. Uzama, the Bengals' tight end, tagged the, the slogan, why not us, before the season started. And Burrow wants them to expect to, to not only be playing for, you know, AFC titles, but expect to win next week and expect to do And so if you embrace the underdog role and say, oh, well, we're underdogs, let's, let's use that, I think Burrow's thinking, no, 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 we need to expect to win and realize that we're good enough to do so. So that's kind of his logic behind it because that's how he views it and, and how confident he is, because he's going to think he's going to outplay going into next week's game, Allen or Mahomes or whoever he's going up against and see the defense and fix all those issues. And the, so I, I think that's the logic behind why he's doing it. He, he knows they're going to be underdogs deep down, but he wants them to expect success, which is something obviously the Bengals haven't had up until this year in, uh, in quite some time. All right. And last one. Uh, I don't know what he's used, but all I know is it's been successful two weeks running. What has Zach Taylor said, done, shown his <laughs> players to help get them motivated to get their first two uh, playoff wins in three decades? Man, I, I, he's got the locker. He's such a, a player's coach. And um, the, the thing that I think Zach has done such a great job with, really from day one of Burrow coming in, is – 
coaching him and putting him in a position for not only short-term success, but long-term success. And, and this year they tweaked the offense and they threw a lot at him and Burrow has the freedom to make any check, any call at the line that, that he deems is necessary. And, you know, that led to, to some ups and downs early in the year. But when you give your, your leader freedom like that and you give your veterans the, uh, the, the, the player friendliness that they do, now suddenly they're playing – for each other, and, and there's so much motivation where it's not like he needs to give a rah-rah speech. He's not that type of guy. But the, the culture that he set up, I think it, it, it's kind of put this team in a position where they expect to go into you know, a, a game against the Raiders and win and handle business and then go to the number one seed at their place and knock them off. So I don't think it's been a two-week thing. I think it's been an all-season-long type thing of the, the culture that uh, he's helped establish and, and set. And so now that they are having success in the playoffs, it's not like he's given them some crazy speech to motivate them. I think they're already internally motivated and they're playing for each other, which is, I think, pretty hard to do in professional sports, but he's found a way to do it thus far. Don't think he's going to win it, but I think he deserves some consideration for Coach of the Year. He's done a hell of a job this year with the Bengals. Uh, great stuff. James, we appreciate you hopping on board. Uh, enjoy your extra week or more of work. Appreciate it. Uh, you're coming on with us tonight. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.